The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Speak to the living God, the creator of everything. It's a privilege which we are humbled by and thankful for and so boldly want to exploit as to ask you for something. We praise your name, we honor you, and we ask of you, will you please give more? All that you have given, all the ways that you have blessed us, we we draw breath in this moment because of your gracious, giving, generous nature. And we want to ask you, we bank on that for us, your people, that you're gracious and generous towards us, and we ask you for more. Will you now give us your spirit in this moment to make your word clear and grow us up? It would be for our great good and for your honor. It would be a blessing to us, so please give it. Will you send your spirit, will you send him to this room now to control our thinking and speaking to illumine your word and build up your people. We ask you for that now in the name of Christ who bought us the privilege of asking, who guaranteed us that we have your ear and your smile. So please give to us again this morning. In his his name, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Even if you've never seen the recent movie, The Greatest Showman, you've probably heard some of its music. The soundtrack of that musical is extremely popular, especially the song, This Is Me. Maybe you've never heard it. I'm going to guess you have, though. Maybe you've never really caught the lyrics, but even if you've never heard the song, never heard the lyrics, you can kind of get the idea what the song is about from the title, This Is Me. Whether everyone out there in the world likes it or not, this is who I'm meant to be. This is who I'm made to be. This is who I'm going to be. I'm going to boldly embrace that. I'm not going to try to be something else. This is me. It's a strong song of empowerment. It really strikes a chord. Let me sing a couple lines to you. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) Really kidding. But you, you probably know it, right? It's a, it's a strong song. It's, it's bold. It's, it's, it's really engaging. It captures people. It strikes a chord with us today because the world is very concerned with individuals figuring out who they're meant to be and then being that boldly, being authentic. The song really resonates. And of course, as a Christian, We need to put a little caution on this idea. Whenever anybody boldly claims, this is who I am, who I'm meant to be, we we should ask kindly, how do you know that? According to what? How do do you know that? Because, you know, we can just say, this is who I'm meant to be. Are, Are you sure? How do you know? That's an important caution, a big asterisk we need to put there at the end of the idea. But once we put the little mark there, the caution there, and then for us, then properly answered how I know that, then we can embrace this idea. 
And in fact, we can actually find Paul, that is God, embracing this for us and exhorting us towards it. Yes, Christian, find out who you are, who you're meant to be, and then be that. Boldly. I don't mean this in some individualistic way, nor does Paul. Not, this isn't find your skills and your passions and your ideas and your talents and then pursue them. It's not that individualistic. It's actually much more holistic and foundational than that. You are a new creation in Christ. That's who you are. Brand new. Consider this and set your mind on it and meditate on it and realize all that is in all of its glory. This is who you are made to be. So be who you are and don't be who you aren't. That's Paul. That's this week and next week in Colossians chapter 3. Last week, at the end of chapter 2, we noted that if we're going to think about and talk about getting rid of sin in our lives, the just-do-it approach doesn't do it. All of our focused willpower and our discipline and our, our efforts and practices, they, they don't change our heart. The fallen flesh can't. But what does change us? Well, then we moved into chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, connected back and also very closely connected to our passage this morning. One to four, Paul points our minds upward, points our minds Christward, raised to new life, seated with Christ, full in him, looking forward to eternal glory in union with him. That's one to four. That's who you are. Therefore, don't be otherwise. That's the connection to our passage in verse five today. That's the flow. And I'm going to read it then from verse 1 so that we catch that flow down through verse 11 and then make two observations from this. Here's Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Colossians chapter 3. Two observations. One, the point is going to be kind of what. What, what, is, he, what is he talking about here? What, what's he calling us not to be? And then second, 
how. How do, how do we get there? So here's the first observation, the what. Poses a question. What aren't we supposed to be? What aren't we supposed to be? And I put it like this in the negative, aren't, are not. Because our verses are about the negative. The next paragraph, as we'll see next week, that's the positive. But, but here this morning, we see verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then we see a list of sins. So this, this is the negative part. And it's important that we consider this, maybe especially important given our, our frequent recent emphasis in the book of Colossians. As we've seen, there's, we've been talking a lot about Jesus. Colossians is a very Jesus-centric book. We've talked a lot about Jesus and much about the fact that as a Christian, you've been united with him, you've been included in him, and are forgiven of your sin, and you are an object of grace as your sin is is nailed to the cross and, and gone off of you. That's because you're in Christ. And then last week, we talked about the ineffectiveness of the self-disciplined attack on sinful behaviors. It doesn't work. So it's possible to hear all that and, and come to a wrong conclusion that sin really isn't that big of a deal. We do it, but in Christ, we're, we're forgiven of it. It's, it's all already dealt with. and So really, we shouldn't obsess too much over it. We should just kind of just carry on living as we live. And really, after all, spending much time fighting sin, it doesn't actually work. pastor said so. So... get a hold on there. That's not quite it. We have to get things in the right order and approach our struggle against sin in the right way. We'll talk about that again today. But sin matters. The holiness of the people of God matters to God. Which is what lies behind verse 5. Put to death What is earthly in you? That's a command to us. Put this to death, which means to regard what is earthly, what what is worldly in us, like like maybe someone estranged from another man might, might regard him. He's dead to me. Meaning, I want nothing to do with him. I want to interact with him, not going to think about him, not going to daydream about him, not going to talk to him, not going to text him, certainly not going to hang out with him. He's dead to me. I want nothing to do with him. Well, similarly, the command to us then is come to that similar sort of place that's dead to me. I want nothing to do with that. I'm not going to interact with it, not going to daydream about it, not going to play with it. It's gone. Cut it off. Specifically, this list. And what follows here, and we see another one down below, is a list of sins. These kinds of lists are all over the New Testament. Sin lists and, and virtue lists, which we'll see next week. There's a, there's a good list next week. They're all, they're all over the New Testament, and they're never meant to be exhaustive. You could always add in something else. But while they're not exhaustive, they also aren't random. These lists, the presence of these lists here, and also what's in them, it's here for a reason. So let's look at the first one. Look at verse 5. There's a theme here. What is it? 
first four words are all clearly about sexual sin. The list of sins to be put to death here, and they're all clearly about sexual sins first, which are an important example of covetousness, which is idolatry, the fifth word. First, there's sexual immorality. Second, impurity or lewdness. Then third, sexual passion, as in lust, which lastly is is an impure lust, an, an evil desire. Kind of two pairings, if you look at them and think about them, kind of two pairings, one, one about action and one about attitude. They fit together there. But while there are four words in two pairings, really there's a lot of overlap between all of them because really the point of it all is, is that it's all one big collection of sin. There's, there's nothing here that would say anything, that would even hint at anything like, well, you know, look but don't touch. Feel free to dream about and fantasize about and look at print or digital images of and get enticed by or turned on by. But as long as you don't touch or as long as you don't actually go all the way, that's fine. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. As Jesus said, so Paul would say, if you've lusted in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Evil desire is right in the same sentence as sexual immorality. Lust is in the same sentence as lewdness. Basically, Paul is just using different words, never exhaustive. We could probably find another one to add it into. Paul is just using different words to, in all one big way, to catch everything and to catch all of us and all of our dodging and rationalizing. Well, I didn't do this. That, that's included too. Well, I'm over here, not there. That's included too. To catch us all in all of our rationalizing and say, put this all to death. God's against all sexual sin, which is all of this. God's against it. But why? I know, because God hates us having fun. He's a killjoy, right? You know, that's a word often used. God basically figures out what we like most and says, I'm against that because I don't like you having any good time. No, no, no. Maybe that's obvious, but we do have to ask why this is here. And why is it first? It, if you're reading along here, it kind of comes up quickly out of nowhere. Why is it First. Why is it here? Why is it first? Why is it God against it? God's not against sex, per se. God designed sex, after all. God made sex. God made it like it is. God made it to feel like it does. God made sex a part of his very good creation. It's not a necessary evil that he has to live with. He made it, made it good like it is, and when he made it, said, very good. So God's not against sex. It's part of his good creation. And sex, rightly understood and rightly engaged in and rightly enjoyed, is a sweet gift from God to us, to people. But to paraphrase what someone once said, he gave us sex 
in the same way that he gave us fire. And this gets, starts to get why it's so important, why it's here first. Start to track with this. Like sex, he gave us fire, but he gave it with boundaries. Fire is wonderful. We could not live without it. But fire is wonderful within the boundaries. If the fire skips out of the fireplace, it destroys us as it burns down the house all around us. Similarly, God is not against sex. He's against sexual immorality and lewdness. And he's against lusting and impure desire because that's sex outside the boundaries and it will burn down our houses, figuratively speaking. It will burn down our lives. The God-given boundaries of sex a husband and a wife giving to one another, intimate and serving and welcoming and accepting and blessing the other, together naked and not ashamed because one does not shame the other. Though if you've ever taken a look at yourself, there's probably something to be a little ashamed of. But not, not in that moment not physically and not emotionally, not interpersonally, welcomed, embraced, received. Because it's all in the safety of marriage covenant love. That's a context in which we flourish, in which we can have this fire in the boundaries so that it warms us and produces life rather than destruction. It's a context in which we flourish and, really important point here, it's also a context in which there is a keenly felt testimony to something else. There's a keenly felt, not just in words expressed or explained or taught in a book, but felt within. There's, there's a testimony felt within about what God in Christ is for his people. Faithful to us in covenant love. He welcomes us in and we are, so to speak, naked before him but not ashamed because he does not shame us. But brings us in and, and gives to us and welcomes and blesses. Safe in his covenant love. That, there's a testimony there that, that God means for sex within that context, within those boundaries to provide a powerful witness, a pointer towards God and what God would be for us in Jesus. And that explains why this is the first thing that Paul brings up here. He mentions that we have to put to death this type of sin. Because sin, it's connection to covetousness, which is idolatry. Sex is a powerful witness to God and also then a powerful, tempting substitute for God. A powerful, tempting idol. One that we're tempted to chase after because we're actually chasing after what God means to be for us. But we, we're chasing, but we miss him and go off.
turn aside from it, and we're, we're coveting, we're chasing. We, we, we know what, there's something that, that's felt within us that we're after, but we, what we miss it and turn aside and seek it in all other kinds of places. As the, the novelist Bruce Marshall wrote, this is, I, I've said this a bunch of different places, you've maybe heard this, but from a book a long time ago, I don't know the context of it, but the sentence is, the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. Unconsciously, but truly. But he's missed, he's turned aside, and is pursued, chased after the, the idol that it was always meant to be a pointer towards, but if you worship the pointer, it's idolatry and destructive. Like any idol, it can't deliver, but better than most idols, it sure feels like it can for a while. And so it is good of the good God who gave sex to forbid sexual sin. Verse 7, you used to walk in that, in mind or in action, but when you were living in that, you were walked in that when you were living in that old earthly self, but now put it to death, put it all away. That's a command about his honor and a command about our good. To set aside the idol so that what's felt within us will be rightly, will follow the pointer, not get stuck on, on the finger, but follow it to God. So is, is for you some repentance in order? Given that you're human, probably the answer is yes. And don't get misled here. If we, we're talking about sex, we're also talking about desires. And desires are, you sometimes think, I just love all the romantic comedies. I fast forward to the sex scenes. That's pretty close. Why do you love the romantic comedy? There's something there, too, to consider. Is in some way, are you... Are you are you looking at the pointer? Maybe repentance is in order for you. Maybe something comes to your mind that you need to really deal with. And let me encourage you then. Talk to a pastor or an elder. You will not find judgment there. Talk to me. You will not find judgment there. You'll find, I hope, gracious help. This is an area of life that sometimes is troubling for us. So if, if you need help with that, then come talk to somebody. But maybe repentance is in order to say, I need to put, I see the command I want to put that to death. That, put it all the way, and then this too. There's another list. Again, with pairs of words, something united around a theme, an attitude, and then an expression, an attitude of interpersonal hostility. Moving on then to the next list. An attitude of interpersonal hostility, anger, and expressed then outward, expressed anger resulting in insult or obscene talk. It seems like, again, with this second list, it's here for a reason, along with the don't lie to one another. Some particular reason in mind. Why is this here? Not just because anger is also bad, something else that Paul thought of. It's, it seems like it has a context here. It's lying to one another. Paul's concern is for something within the, the atmosphere of the congregation of the church itself, 
which is what the last verse, verse 11, also points us to. Seems like his context here is about something within us, anger within us, and then hurtful speech between us, maybe deceit between us. Perhaps it looks something like someone thinking, I, I'm, not, I'm not a filthy Greek, I'm a Jew. The, the pairing's there at the end. Or maybe there's, there's some sort of a separation and a judgment of religious background, circumcised, uncircumcised, or, or cultural background, Scythian, barbarian, or, or current cultural standing, slave or free. Someone develops a, an error, and then someone slanders, and then someone deceives when caught. We can get at slander and malice, perhaps along these lines, or in countless other church squabbles. We, we get to frustration and anger about how you run the committee, and about how I parent, and about how your kids don't like my kids, etc., 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 right? When you're in community, it's easy to have desires bump into each other, and anger is desire thwarted. So sexual immorality is a strong threat to the worship of God, and anger and anger expressed is a strong threat to the unity of the church. We are one people with Christ at our foundation, and we must put to death anything that would disrupt that. Put it to death, put it all away, do not do this. Clear commands. So is repentance in order for you. So you hear this, and it comes to you. You hear the command of God. Here's God's law for us. And as the Spirit of God takes his word and, and, and brings it to your mind, you, you hear it perhaps now in this moment, and you think about it, and repentance rises up. Lord, you're right. I don't want that. I, I want to put that to death. I want to get rid of that. I want to walk away from that. Help. What do you do next? Do you take the last several pages of this sermon as the list of what's required of you from this passage? There it is right there. I just said it. It's pretty clear. And do you deliver it directly over to your self-will and self-discipline and say, just do it. Get after it. Focus. Speak kind words. Don't look at her. Clouds. Look. Oh, I remember that from last week. Is that what you do? No. It's not what Paul does. Repentance. Is repentance order? Yes. Oh, I, want to, I want to put that to death. I want to get away from it. I want to say no to it. I want to walk away from it. Help. And God does not say, deliver that over to your self-discipline. He says something else. It leads us to the second point. How do we not be what we aren't? How? How do you do it? How does this happen? How does it come about? How do we not be what we aren't? Okay. If your personal trainer at the gym says to you, your abdominal six-pack, you know, the, the muscles in your abdomen, and when they get defined, they look like six bumps there. Your abdominal six-pack isn't very well defined. You're eating too many useless carbs. What's that tell you? that your trainer thinks 
that in your case, getting a nicely defined six-pack is less about crunches, ab crunches, less about crunches, more about carbs. Less about do more workouts and more about fix your diet. You don't have to work harder as much as you have to change what you're feeding yourself. That's what you need to focus on. And that's what our personal trainer, Paul, saying to us, the church, right here. You want to get rid of this sin? You, you, want, you want to change? Well, change is less about working harder and more about what you're feeding yourself with. In our case, not, not about what you're filling your stomach with, but what you're filling your mind with, what you're filling your mind's eye with. Notice this repeatedly in this passage. It's all through here. It's, it's, it's laced in before and then between and then after. It all, all around, all the sins, he doesn't point out particular practices. He doesn't point us towards behavior or exercises. Instead, Paul tries to fill our minds to help us see something. It starts right away with the therefore in verse 5. Now, the problem with how church works is that we didn't talk about, I mean, I mentioned again on purpose, verses 1 to 4, but that was like seven days ago, and it's easy to not realize that it actually was just seconds before verse 5. It is the context. So we look back at verses 1 to 4. We already touched on it again briefly. And those verses, that, that Paul lifting us up, setting the context for the, for the commands he's about to give, lifting our minds up and pointing us heavenward, he gives us this vision of heaven and, and says to you, Christian, you are in Christ. You've been raised to new life in him. You are included with him. You, you see him there seated. You're seated with him there in heaven. That's your home. That's your life. Do you see it? Remember all this? Look. Look. That one is reigns and you are in him you actually already are at this very moment seated in heaven with him and do you see the the clouds parting and christ coming and what happens when he comes is the kingdom rolls in in fullness and you are delivered finally and fully do you see it heavenward and therefore put to death what is earthly in you heaven and earth the contrast is right there sorry contrast it's it's back to back the therefore ties these things together you put to death this earthly it's it's because of this do you see that's the context right up front but then it continues because after he lists the sexual sin then what next not a task not a task but more vision. Another statement about unseen but coming reality. Christ is coming in glory, but also the wrath of God is coming on account of this sin. So if you see him, 
than what's earthly seems. Eh. And also, then, remember the wrath of God. If you see him, what is earthly in you seems, ooh. Both. This all that he just talked about, it's wicked enough that God would in wrath come to judge it. And you used to do that. You were living that life. Before you were living in Christ, you were living right in the middle of that. That's what you were. Were. But now he comes for you not to judge, but to honor you so that you will appear in glory. Bless God. And then he moves back to command, verse 8. So put all that away. And more sin. Because that's what you were, but not what you are. You used to walk in that, but you must not now. This isn't you anymore, verses 9 and 10. You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. That's what you were. This is you. This is what you are. So Paul's approach here is is really clear, even if we have to think for a minute about how it works. And we do have to think for a minute. How does that work? But what he's doing is quite clear. He's mixing in commands, put to death, don't do this, get rid of it, commands about sin with statements about who you are and where you are and what's coming for you. He's mixing those two things together. That's really clear. You aren't that anymore, so command, don't be that. You've been changed, so live changed. To put it another way, you need to get rid of sin, and that's a diet issue, not an exercise issue. So I'm going to feed you with truth about who you are and what's coming. And when you see who you are, you will live that way. That's what he's doing. We have to stop and think about how does that work? Because for the longest time, this pattern really puzzled me. Maybe it puzzles you, but it it puzzled me. Here or in Romans 6, same thing as in Romans 6, it's in several other places. it's, It's here and it's clear, but I was puzzled as to how that's supposed to work. You see the pattern. The pattern is, here's a command, which I make really clear what you're supposed to either not do or do, and then I... I run before it and after it and and around it. I intersperse into it, says Paul, statements about what's true of you. How does that work? It's puzzling. It seemed kind of like how a father might say to a son, my last name is Clark, if I had a son, I might say to him, son, you're a Clark, so act like one. This is who you are. This is who we are. So be this. Be like this. Like our family is. Don't don't bring shame to us. You've got a name. Live up to it. You're Clark. Is that it? Seems like it could be. Is that how it works? You're a Christian now. So act like it. You've got a name. The name of Christ rests on you. You're a part of a people, so act like it. That family is, like like our, our ethos, what we're about. Don't bring shame to this group, shame to this name. Walk this way. 
This is who you are, so be it. Is that how this works? Maybe there's a little bit of help in, in, in that sort of approach, but there's a whole lot of just do it. There's a whole lot of turning the screws to get you to behave a certain way. Your clerk, your Christian, act like it. Let me slide across what that looks like and tell you to do it, to live up to it. That's not quite it. There's more. And here's the key. Here's how this works and why this works. It's the end of verse 10. Now, he's using the image here of clothing, of taking off and putting on clothing. And you have taken off and you have put on, you've changed clothes. But really, it's God did it for you. So it's really kind of like we're, we're infants and our parents changed our clothes. We've, changed, we've taken off the old and put on the new, but really God did that for us. And I think this makes a little more sense if I change the analogy in this way. Think of yourself, really, this is, is how you are. You are a computer or, or an iPhone or a tablet. You, you are the hardware itself. And you've been reloaded with a brand new operating system. So you got that? You're the hardware, and you've been loaded with a new operating system. And that new operating system, that new self, is constantly being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The new operating system is constantly being updated constantly changing and improving. The bugs getting fixed as patches are released. The performance being enhanced. Now there's more endurance there because we fixed how battery life is used, so it lasts longer. New applications expanding the power of the operating system. So the hardware, the computer, the phone, the whatever, it's increasingly now powerful, and you can do more with it. It's faster, and it's, it's more intuitive, and it's anticipatory because this new operating system is constantly being renewed updated, if and only if it's connected to the internet, right? Doesn't happen otherwise. You must have a path for all those renewing updates to be pushed to your device. If you're offline, you don't change. So we must connect. Paul says, set your minds on things above. Dial in. To mix metaphors across decades. <laughs> connect. Set your mind on things above. Consider Christ. And all that we have in him and all that we don't have because we're in him and all that we wouldn't have when we were outside of him and all that's coming to us and not coming to us because you are in Christ, this reigning one. Paul speaks to us. Paul is training us by setting our minds, saying, behold your God in glory. 
see him and see that where you sit right at this moment and what's, what's rushing downhill towards you is grace, 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 grace. See that. Drink it in. And God then, as you connect, as you draw near, God then by his spirit updates you, pushes into you changing truth. He renews you in knowledge, to use the words from the passage. Not in the increasing of facts. Renewing in knowledge is about changing us so that we see things like God knows they are. We become conformed to his image like we were made to be. We know what he wants, what his will is, and what's good. And we really know it in this sense that we don't just know it as fact, but we know it within, and we long for it and want it and are inclined towards it and, and have a taste for it and are not satisfied without it. We value what he values. We become true image bearers, real, full, true human beings like we were made to be. We become like Christ, renewed in the image of our Creator, says the verse. Updated. Transformed as our minds are renewed. And that kind of renewed person Just like your renewed device, your updated device, the new operating system is updated, it doesn't work like the old one did anymore. It works like the new one does. That kind of renewed person living with a new sense of God's perspective and God's loves and desires, when she hears, put off anger, and then a friend from her small group says something careless and kind of insulting, this renewed, maturing image bearer, the first thing you think, or maybe it's the second thing you think quickly, is what? How dare she? No. Maybe that's first, but the second thing that comes into mind is my God reigns. I'm secure. Psalm 84 tells me the Lord bestows favor and honor. So she doesn't, but he does. And I am favored and honored in whatever way is right, in just that proper way by him. So now, Lord, how might you have me help this person? Should I confront that? Should I cover it with love? Should I ask her where it comes from and try to dig in a little bit to help her? How do you want me to love my neighbor? Maybe some particular practice might be helpful right there. Count to ten before you speak. Remember the communication class that you took, and, and remember to use I language rather than you language. Maybe something's helpful right there, but as you're counting to ten, you must, must connect. Set your mind on things above on all that God is for you in Christ, that's how you will be renewed in the image of your creator. That's how you grow in Christ-likeness and be filled with power to, to walk with him and to walk for him, to walk in newness of life. 
So I've got a minute or two here. I'm going to give another example. Because that is, I said, how does a renewed person who then hears put off anger and is then insulted by a person, and Psalm 84 comes to mind, the Lord bestows favor and honor. So you try to take favor and honor from me, a passage comes to mind that's pretty cut and dry, pretty clear. But here's another way this works. I am a person not dissimilar from a lot of other people here. I read the part about sexual immorality, it's convicting to me. I know people think pastors don't struggle with that. Sure they do, because pastors are people. And pastors are men. So, not reading these verses at all. Reading through Genesis. A pas- passages in Genesis about nothing to do with sexual morality at all. Jacob tricking his brother and then taking off to, to wander into a distant land for safety. Going to flee to Laban. Maybe he'll find a wife there, but at least he's going to be safe. And he's, and he's going away, and you know the story. He meets Jacob's, this part of the dreamer, Jacob's ladder, and he sees the angels descending and ascending. Surely God is in this place. And, and then he moves on and he walks across thousands of miles thousand miles there and then eventually decades later a thousand miles back and I'm reading all that and put to death therefore sexual morality happens how it's not related at all sure it is I'm reading all that connecting to God what's being pushed into me maturity and perspective. I am reading that, and I, I sit there, and, I, and I, I almost feel the vastness of the expanse. Can you imagine by yourself walking to Nevada through nothing? And then tomorrow and next week and next month, still nothing. Just you. Me and my staff cross this Jordan. That's what he says somewhere in that story. You see the vastness opening up. And Jacob's comment about, I went through all these things. Some of them were sinful. Some of them were trying. Some of them were difficult. And all through them, God was with me, preserving me and keeping me. And I'm, I'm seeing all that and feeling all that and feeling this is important. This is real. This is a walk through life with God who is. And, you know, plug your kids' ears. And then a female breast seems irrelevant. Not to say that I don't struggle with that anymore, but, but, you know, oh my word, across the miles and the decades and the experiences of life, and the God who is, and the God who walks with, and the God who meets, and the God who deals, the God who blesses, and the God who covers, and the God who protects. And what is earthly in me seems, eh, by comparison. 
that kind of connection. That's what God wants to update us with, to grow us up, to show us what's real and what's true, what's big and what's important, and who is big and true and real and important, and what is for us. And in perspective then, can, by comparison, what is earthly in us is, uh, and uh. And that's real. That happens. That can happen for you. Connect. Set your mind on things above. Look to him. That's what renews you. That's what updates you. That's what changes you, grows you, makes you different. And moves you to walk in newness of life. That's how God grows us in holiness. By changing us. Making us new people. Renewing us in the image of our creator. Making us real human beings. Image bearers of God's glory. Let me pray. Father, Would you renew your people? Would you make us new? And would you carry on the updating process? Push to us more renewing change. Push it to us, please. And would you spark in us, your people, a desire to connect, to come and sit at your feet, the one thing necessary, so that you can push to us what would make us new change us and bless us. We need your help, Lord. Please do it. Even now in this moment, perhaps for some, there's some work you want to do in them even now. Would you do it, please? Would you accomplish some change in your people now as we commune with you? We commune with each other now over these elements here, and we commune with you and remind, remind us, please, of all that you offer us in Christ seen in in small form in these elements. Thank you. We trust ourselves to you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.